1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Happy Friday, by the way. Gorgeous day outside compared to yesterday, which was... Less than gorgeous. It was. It was kind of just a crummy day. It looked like it was going to rain all day. Just not. Not my. Not my cup of tea. However, today, high seventies, sun out, very good day. It's kind of one of those days where, truthfully, I'd love to like be at like by a fire, by like eight thirty, nine o'clock tonight. Good drink in my hand. Like that's the, like this is that kind of night. However, I was very worried that tonight's show would be very, you know, negative. At about 10, 30, 11 this morning, when I saw that Micah Hyde had gone down with an injury, I was petrified. Number one, he's one of the most, if not the most important player on the team's defense, and it was one of those situations where you're like, "Oh, we've been we've been so good for the most part with our key players staying healthy. Please, not this season." I did have like a moment, like I I'd probably no, it was probably about five minutes of like genuine fear of just, oh no, it, it can only go bad from here. But Micah Hyde, if you haven't heard, Bills All-Pro Safety Micah Hyde did leave practice early today with an apparent hip slash quad injury. It's kind of in that area. NFL Network's Ian Rapoport did report it does not look serious. It seems to be you know just a stinger, maybe a hip pointer, something like that. The Bills did comment that they're still monitoring his health, making sure that's all good. But for the most part, it seems like we escaped, you know, what could have been a devastating blow to the team, especially if it was a non contact injury. Obviously, no pads. Today was the last day of no pads. But everything seemed to be okay. And then after, you know, it, it seemingly looked like okay, Micah Hyde's good. There was like this horrible feeling rushed over me again when I read a tweet that said Josh Allen went down, and it was a bit of a scary sight for a second. And my only thought was all right, let's end practice for the day. Let's just let's just call it, it's a Friday. Let's go into the weekend on a positive note because I was just like, why in God's name are we still here? Like, what are we doing? And this is the thing too. I mean, like, I, I watched the video of where I think Josh ultimately wound up on the ground, and he kind of played it off a little bit. But like, you know, he shouldn't have been touched. Like, it, but they were practicing a scrambling drill, or at least like a quarterback sneak drill. And I'm just like, all right, I I super didn't need this today. It, it's a Friday. It should have been very relaxing. And it turned out for like most of my morning was like, all right, I can't. And then the Bills are putting on pads tomorrow. So like, there are going to be guys that get bumps and bruises, but it's one of those things. It's like, I'd like to avoid all of that going into pads or going into the preseason. I'd like to avoid everything. Now, Mike Hyde will likely be out for at least a few days, just as a precautionary, make sure he's healthy and all that stuff. But overall, the Bills avoided what could have been a catastrophic day, thankfully. So yeah, happy Friday. Welcome into the nightcap. Tonight. I had a lot of fun going through some teams that could be surprises this year in the positive light. You know, we talked a little bit about the Jags, the Jets. We saw some tweets of you know the Steelers, the Vikings, some teams like that that like could surprise people. Not necessarily a playoff team, but definitely could surprise people in a positive light. And I want to take that and flip it because I think most people always like to talk about the teams that could be bad, that could be disappointing, that we could all kind of point and laugh at, right? So that's what we're going to do. Tonight, I'm going to kind of give my list of teams that I think could be disappointing this year. Not necessarily miss the playoffs, you know, but just I I don't think we'll reach the expectations maybe they have or maybe that, you know, some people have given them. There's a team on this list that you'll probably hear and go, yeah, because we never don't hear about that team, no matter how good or bad they are. You know, that probably gives you a little bit of a guess. So let's get into it. Right off the bat, I kind of want to just hit this team and 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 run through just real quick. It, maybe not even real quick. I think I actually am going to take a little bit of time on this. But number one on my list, I think they are absolutely going to disappoint people this year, is the Dallas Cowboys. But honestly, I always look at Dallas, and I do say almost the same thing every offseason going into the season, of why do I have to hear about this team all the time? Right? I, what What does Dallas do? Every offseason that makes people think, well, is this the year they're going to win their first Super Bowl since the 90s? I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably not. Probably not since the 90s. I don't think they've really ever come into a season where they were genuinely like a Super Bowl favorite. They've I, I cannot remember in my life them truly coming into a season like the Bills or the Chiefs where it's like, no, I think it's going to be a super disappointing season if they don't win the Super Bowl. We've gotten now to a point with the Dallas Cowboys, truthfully, that if they just win a playoff game, it should be considered a success under Jerry Jones' ownership. But we're not there just because of the dominance they had in the 70s and now the Jerry Jones era 90s. But I think with the Dallas Cowboys, I do genuinely think they have pieces to be a good team. So I don't want to I don't want to sit here and just bash the Dallas. I really like Dak Prescott as a quarterback. I think CeeDee Lamb is phenomenal. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott as a one-two punch, and I do think Tony Pollard should be above Ezekiel Elliott, but that's a whole other whole other topic. I think that's a solid offense right there. Michael Gallup is recovering from a torn ACL. I think he's going to be a pretty good number two. I think they're going to definitely feel the loss of Amari Cooper, but Dalton Schultz playing under the franchise tag, I think he could be a pretty good tight end. And then on defense, they have Trayvon Diggs as maybe one of the better you know pickoff artist cornerbacks. He, get, he does get beat a, a good bit, but I mean eleven picks, you can't. Can't scoff at that. That's phenomenal. And Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons, I think, is he should be one of the early favorites to a defensive player of the year. He was a menace his rookie year. I want to say he had 13 sacks. He was unbelievable for Dallas. He was a he was a revelation on their defense. And I think that is going to continue. I think he is going to be one of the stars on the defensive side of the football for the next 10 to 12 years. I can't wait to see the rest of his career. So you're hearing me say this, and it's like, all right, Zach, you kind of sound a little positive on the Dallas Cowboys, and for the most part, for the roster, I am. I like Dan Quinn as defensive coordinator. I think Kellen Moore is a fine offense coordinator, but I think him and Deck work pretty well together. They still got to figure out, you know, the primetime consistency. But the Tampa game last year did give me some hope that Deck really can play on prime time, and he's all right, and he doesn't, you know, falter when he plays really good competition. No, my issue starts right at the top. And it's the two guys. It's Jerry Jones as both owner and GM and Mike McCarthy as head coach. I, there's almost nothing positive I can say about either of those men in terms of running a football team. I, I, truthfully, I don't think there's a single positive thing I can. Jerry Jones can draft like the best of them. That's going to be the only positive. Yeah, that's it right there. That's the positive. Jerry Jones can really draft. He really can. It's, it's one of the unsung things that, basically, if Jerry Jones makes a pick, a part of me always kind of likes the pick. I may not even really know the player, but it'll be one of those where it's like, it might work out, though. He's probably going to be a pretty good football player. My problem with Jerry Jones becomes the overvaluing Cowboys. He overvalues everybody. He pays everybody well over the market value just to keep them in the Dallas market. And it's not helping. And it is causing unbelievable problems. Namely, and I brought him up when I was talking about their roster, Zeke Elliott's contract. Tony Pollard is the better running back. And Zeke has dealt with injuries. He has dealt with inconsistency issues. He's dealt with a number of issues in his career. His best season easily, easily was his rookie year. And he's never topped that since. Dak Prescott, on the other hand, has gotten better and better and better. Yet Zeke's contract made it almost not almost impossible, but very difficult to sign back Dak Prescott, and it made it impossible for them to keep Amari Cooper. And Zeke, I just don't think helps Dak enough to warrant that. And yet they're stuck with that contract now for another couple of years. They can try to cut Zeke, they can try to trade him, but the NFL's gotten gotten wise to the idea that is, you know, as awful as it is, running backs just aren't what they used to be. Not in the NFL, not anymore. So while I think this team could be a playoff team, I, you know, I, I mentioned it when I was still producing the morning show. Me and Howard were talking about the NFC East. I think the Eagles are the best team in that division. And part of it, I think the better quarterback is Dak Prescott compared to Jalen Hurts. But I think infinitely the better coach is Nick Sirianni compared to Mike McCarthy. So going into McCarthy, look what happened with Green Bay when he left. Lafleur is is, 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 I think, is a really good coach. I don't think he's this great coach. I think he's just been blessed with Aaron Rodgers deciding to go say in mode in the regular season and will that team to 13-14 wins because he really is. I mean, an exceptional talent when he wants to be. Now in the playoffs, it's a different story. I think Aaron Rodgers cares more about his QBR rating and you know his low interceptions and taking chances because he'll throw to one guy and that guy's no longer on the team. But Mike McCarthy just, it, it, there was no, they won that Super Bowl in 2011 against Pittsburgh. And it felt like where Aaron Rodgers and the rest of that Green Bay ownership and team really wanted to win another one, I don't know if Mike McCarthy really did. It felt like he had reached the mountaintop, and instead of a guy like a Bill Belichick or a Bill Walsh, he kind of sat there and went, I'm good. I won one. I won as a wildcard team. I, you know, I I I beat the odds. They went 15-1 and one the next year. They lost in the divisional round. First round, gone, done, to the Giants. Unbelievable how they lost that year. And in part, it became the defenses were bad. And the offenses never evolved. We got to a point, I think, in Mike McCarthy's last two years, Rodgers was leading the league in throwaways, which essentially is a player giving up on a play. There was no good place. There was nobody getting open. Now Lafleur comes in, and, it, and they're much better. They're far better. But Dallas, it feels like they constantly hold themselves back because Jerry Jones, to me, just wants to be the most important person in the organization at all times. And he can't be that. As an owner or as a GM, you have to sort of be the silent guardian of the team. As the owner, you sign the checks, you build new training facilities, you make sure that you know you have all the state of art stuff. You know you're not doing anything bad in the public eye that all of a sudden the team now has to you know be careful with their owner, who many of them may not like or just see as my boss. As the GM, you make savvy trades, keep the team under the salary cap. Get guys on a bargain in the draft, get steals, or just nail your first-round picks. He's good at the drafting part. I have zero problem with the drafting part. But Jones goes on a radio show all the time in Dallas to talk about the team. You know, he hires guys who he feels only safe around. The Dallas Cowboys is maybe like the most old boys club in the NFL. It's just a bunch of old cowboys. Or it's a bunch of guys that have been in the NFL for years. Kellen Moore felt like a kind of surprising hire. He was a young guy that they brought in until you realized they just seemed as the next Jason Garrett. That he was a Cowboys backup quarterback who clearly wasn't going to make it in the NFL, so what'd they do? I oh, will just make him you know, our quarterback's coach and then eventually bring him into the O.C. And even then, I think they rushed that one a bit. I don't I don't think Kellen Moore was ready, but he has a good enough quarterback in deck to kind of make up for it. We'll see how he looks this year, now with Amari Cooper gone. Dallas to me is a team that is just waiting. They should have fired Mike McCarthy last year, right? We all remember that playoff game now against San Francisco, where they seemingly had no idea how much time was left on the clock. Dak seemingly was running around with his head cut off. They had not prepared for any of these situations, and in the heat of the moment, Dak forgets how to clock a game, how to how to to end or how to pause a game essentially, because he needs to wait for the official to get up there to. Not spike the ball, but place the ball at the line of scrimmage, and so it's just it it was a cluster. But leading up to that, the plays they're running aren't going to leave you enough time to do that. So it ultimately doesn't matter that Dak forgets that Dak. I, I guarantee you didn't forget it. It was just oh my gosh, we're running out of time. I need I need to go do something now. But their plays, it's just there's no situational awareness at all in Mike McCarthy's system. There is zero situational awareness. There is zero oomph to an offense anymore. I will always remember, specifically remember, the NFC Championship game where the Packers were destroying the Seattle Seahawks. I think Russell Wilson had four interceptions at one point, and they were only up 16-0 in the fourth quarter. And when they couldn't score touchdowns off of these interceptions, it took a bad defense that the Packers really just could not figure out after 2011... They were able to just score, and Green Bay seemingly looked lost. They didn't know what to do, and that's because there is no situational awareness with Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy is a con artist, it feels like. It really does. At an introductory press conference for the Cowboys, he even kind of openly lied to the ownership by telling them that before he'd been hired, because Mike McCarthy's name was being thrown around a lot once Jason Garrett looked like he was going to be fired. And he lied and said, "Oh, I had watched every single Dallas Cowboys game. I was prepared for this job." What is he saying in his introductory press conference? Oh, well, I kind of lied about that. I didn't. I didn't watch every Dallas Cowboys game. I, I what? What? What do you
0: mean?
1: You put in the hours,
0: the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
1: You And then you didn't even wait like a year or like a Super Bowl victory later or even after a happy moment. You waited until your introductory press conference, which is you know your first day essentially, and said, I lied about that a few weeks ago. Actually, I didn't do that. Did not do that at all. Dallas is a talented team, and they have an awful coach who will do nothing for them. Not a thing for them. And what happens if Carson Wentz sort of revitalizes his career a little bit? Chase Young comes back from his torn ACL. He's going to miss some time. Ron Rivera confirmed that today. But what if he comes back and that defense actually is as good as it should be? Or as many of us thought it could be? Dallas all of a sudden doesn't sweep Washington. I think they could get swept by Philadelphia. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting here thinking, "Eh, they could probably maybe be a 10-win team, sneak into the playoffs in a weak NFC, and still probably move on from Mike McCarthy, and no one would complain. There would be no one sitting there going, well, how can you get rid of them? No, I, I think Dallas is more than ready to get rid of them. You could all of a sudden sit there and go, and this talented team, they won eight games, and they completely missed the playoffs. That, to me, feels like a real possibility for this Dallas team in a weak NFC with one of the better quarterbacks in that conference with a very good offense and still a very solid offensive line and one of the best playmakers on your defense and one of the best sack artists on your defense. Your coaching, your head coaching is that bad. And you can tell Mike McCarthy knows he's on the hot seat because they got fined in minicamp because they were having contact practices practices. That tells you that they feel a little bit of a giddy up going. That they need to get everybody ready because when they play Tampa Week One, it's it, that already. I mean, Week One for Dallas already feels like a game that if they lose, Mike McCarthy could pull could have a Bill O'Brien pulled on him. Where by Week Four he's out and Dan Quinn takes over as head coach. I truth, I would that probably should happen. If if you're asking me my genuine opinion, I think that should happen. That go through the first four games, and if you're two and two, I'd still pull the trigger. If you're three and one, I will wait a little longer. If you're one and three, pull the trigger. Absolutely. He is not that good of a coach, and he never really has been. And that's the most frustrating part about it. He has never been that good of a head coach. Before we get to our next team, I want to get connected to our fans brought to you by the law firm of Gelber and O'Connell. They take your personal injury cases personally. Andrew tweets in, my prediction is that neither Super Bowl team from last year, that's the Rams and the Bengals, make the playoffs this season. That's interesting to me. Number 1, I you know, I wrote, you know, by 10 bold predictions for the season about a month or so ago. You can find that on our website wgr550.com. I said Cincinnati won't make the playoffs. Now, the Rams one is fascinating. I think the Rams will make the playoffs against in, in in a not great NFC. But Cincinnati's an interesting one. So I'm going to go to them. I'm not going to hit my second team because there's another comment on there that I want to hit that, and we we have the same team. So I'm going, to, I'm going to talk Cincinnati right now, but they're on my list, and that's because I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I think Cincinnati. I don't want to say caught lightning in a bottle because I think Joe Burrow's spectacular, and I think Jamar Chase is a top three receiver in football, and I think the receiving core as a whole is the best in football. I think Joe Mixon's a great running back. I'm not sold on Zach Taylor, as a head coach. I think the defense is. Spotty, and I think they had a really, really strong run when Burrow did not play all that well in the playoffs, by the way. And along with that, they got really, really lucky with a number of injuries inside their own division. And now what they have to deal with is one of the most loaded AFCs we've seen in decades. It is elite quarterback talent after elite quarterback talent everywhere across the board. The AFC East Buffalo probably going to win the division right I think most of us agree with that I don't really see Buffalo not win the division I don't see Miami keeping up with us I don't see I we all know I think New England is a bad team and the Jets I think are going to be improved but nowhere near Buffalo so that's one team gone already the AFC West potentially could have four playoff teams all four of those teams would not be surprising to see in the playoffs then you go to the AFC North. Baltimore had just an uncomfortable level of injuries where you really did sit there and go, that's not fair. Like I genuinely at a certain point I thought that's not fair. They're getting all those guys back. Their receiving room needs a lot of work, and I and I agree with that, and I understand that. And Cincinnati whooped on Baltimore last year. They put on a whooping both games. But Lamar is going to come out something to prove. He was playing exceptionally well before he got hurt last year. He was carrying a husk of a Ravens team to a well above 500 record until he got hurt. That team could be dangerous. The Browns. We'll see what the Deshaun Watson suspension is. Again, it could be eight games, it could be four games, it could be two games, it could be none, it could be all of them. I don't know, and I don't think a single soul knows either. But if he's there the whole season, ooh, that Cleveland team's good. Good enough to at least split with Cincinnati. And Pittsburgh is a sneaky team. I don't know where to put Pittsburgh. I think Mitch Trubisky is a fine quarterback. I don't trust Kenny Pickett at all, slightly for a funny reason. He wears two gloves. I don't trust that at all. But also, I just was never a big Kenny Pickett fan, anyways. I've been known to say I think Davis Mills would have been the first quarterback taken in this draft if he had stayed at Stanford another year, like most draft experts thought he should have been. So all all four teams in that division are at least going to be, I think, a competitive out for Cincinnati. And the AFC South is fine. I, you know, the, I, the Colts are likely going to get in. I think they're going to win the division. Tennessee, though, has surprised people before. I think Jacksonville. I think, as we've you know talked yesterday, I think Jacksonville is going to be an infinitely improved team, but not necessarily a playoff team. But ultimately, you look at Cincinnati and you realize they can't go ten and seven again. That won't win their division, and that's the point. Ten and seven will not win their division. Going nine seven and one like the Steelers did won't get you into the playoffs. And out of their bye, they have got a brutal schedule. They have a Week 10 bye, and they play at Pittsburgh, at Tennessee, Kansas City at home, Cleveland at home, at Tampa, at New England, in Buffalo, and against Baltimore. That is a grind of a schedule to come out of a bye. It's a little bit better to start the season. Pittsburgh at home, at Dallas, at the Jets versus Miami. Those first four games, they could absolutely be 4-0. I could see them losing to Dallas, though. Like I said, I don't trust Zach Taylor. I don't trust Mike McCarthy. I think that one just kind of becomes, you know, that could just be a shootout. It's at Dallas that could play into it. Miami's interesting. I, I obviously don't trust Tua, but that could be an interesting game. Then you get at Baltimore, at New Orleans, home Atlanta, at Cleveland, Carolina. Well, I think one thing here, you're likely going to get Deshaun Watson. I, I think he gets suspended eight games. I think if you, if you sat me down and said pick one I think eight games. So you'll get Deshaun Watson at home. They need to have a spectacular record going into the bye. They can afford maybe to lose two games in before their week 10 bye. They have to be 8 and 2. I'm sorry, 7 and 2. They have to be. Because you're coming out, they could lose at Pittsburgh, at Tennessee. Tennessee is always a nightmare for teams to play. They they just are. The Bills have had Horrible success against the Titans the last few years. Now AJ Brown's gone and they may be genuinely be a bad team. I'm not sure. But they've been horribly frustrated to deal with. Kansas City at home. Kansas City's gonna want revenge. They're gonna want revenge, man. And I just I it's tough for me to bet against Patrick Mahomes. I like Joe Burrow a lot. It is just tough for me to bet against them, especially late in the season when they will likely have their groove together. Cleveland, we've already talked about that. Deshaun Watson at Tampa. We'll see what happens with their whole center situation. I think they will figure that out, especially at that point. If not, that would be... You will start seeing them kind of have issues then, obviously, at that point late in the season. At New England, we'll see. I think New England's a bad team, but they could frustrate them. That's Bill Belichick's go-to thing is frustrating everybody. Buffalo and Baltimore, you get them both at home. But that is a brutal final three of your four games. Likely five, or likely four of your last five games. That is tough. I absolutely could see Cincinnati not making the playoffs. I do actually see Cincinnati not making the playoffs. Because I think you also have to add in this. They lost the Super Bowl. It has become a thing in recent years where an injury happens, or it's just the, the, the grind to get there and to ultimately fall short. And Cincinnati was well within their ability to win that game, especially when OBJ went down. They were well within that game. And you got to remember this, too, with Cincinnati. How many times did luck go their way where Mahomes seemingly just played his worst game ever in the second half and allowed Cincinnati to come back and still ultimately only won in overtime? Or in the Super Bowl where they looked like they were going to get blown out and OBJ hurts his knee. Tennessee being one of the worst one seed ever. And the Raiders. Raiders had a shot. Cincinnati had a great run, and I could absolutely see it falling flat on their face. Just because the the Super Bowl loser, and that has become a thing in recent years, that the Super Bowl, basically outside of New England, has had a rough time going into the next season and repeating the similar success. I don't think they win the AFC North. I think it's Baltimore. and if And if it is Baltimore, Cincinnati absolutely has to win at least 10 games to definitely get in the playoffs, to feel comfortable going into the playoffs. If they win nine... I just I do not see them getting in. I don't. I just don't see them getting in. We're gonna take a quick time out we come back we'll run through the rest of the teams on my list we'll, t- we'll hit a few of yours as well. that's coming up here on the nightcap on WGR. Welcome back into the nightcap here on WGR Zach Jones along with you on a beautiful Friday night. We're talking some teams that could be disappointing this season in the NFL. Not necessarily missing the playoffs. Some of them, I think, definitely could. I just, you know, was talking Cincinnati. I think they'll miss the playoffs. I think Dallas has a shot too, but in a Week NFC, I think they will. We'll continue on with the rest of my list. I've got about three more teams. One of which we're going to connect you to our fans. Brought to you by the law firm of Galber and O'Connell. They take your personal injury cases personally. David and me agree on this team, and he's tweeting in the Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos. I was all in actually on Denver for quite a while, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but hear me out. It has partially become of like because of Russell Wilson. I don't. There's something about it that I'm just like. It's almost like I can't. Before I always looked at Russell Wilson as someone that, and I still slightly do that you know, Seattle under Pete Carroll never really understood what they had in Russell Wilson which was a guy that should have been throwing for 5000 yards nearly a season and putting up 35 touchdown passes yearly plus his rushing ability and it seems like they always wanted to like, to rein him in a little bit and like no 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 we got to run the ball we got to you know establish the line of scrimmage you know establish you know the clock and, and and she was like no put up points it's a hall of fame quarterback right there but now it's just some of the stuff he is doing now that he's in Denver just has me thinking. I don't, can I see him truly beating out, and not necessarily beating them out. I think there could be three teams in the playoffs in the AFC West, but this is more where I see them disappointing. Can I really see him beating out Herbert with a much improved Chargers team and Patrick Mahomes, who was maybe the best quarterback of my lifetime I've ever seen. Can I really see him doing that? Can I see Nathaniel Hackett really and truly beating out Andy Reid and Brandon Staley? Staley, I think, has to get a little less aggressive on fourth downs and just be a little bit smarter, but he trusts his quarterback, and I'll always love that, obviously. And they've gotten infinitely better. Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson, they're definitely better. They've paid their wide receivers. Austin Eckler should be healthier. And I've said this before, I think the Chargers are the second-best team in the AFC. I love the Chargers roster. I think they are spectacular. And that's a part of it. For- Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is kind.
0: Stream minor league affiliates.
1: The Midwest League home run leader.
0: And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez. Subscribe to At AtBat within the MLB
1: app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Where it's like, can Denver be like that nine-win team that just sneaks in the playoffs? And you are sitting there going, oh, I don't, hmm. That feels wrong. Like Denver fans, a lot of them, and their point differential from last year would tell you that that should happen and, and everything. That, you know, they're going to come in and be great this year. That they were really, and and truly, a quarterback away. But there's just something about the Denver Broncos I can't grasp. I can't hold on to. And I've loved Russell Wilson for years on Seattle. And a part of me has wanted him out of Seattle for years because I think they misuse him. And now that he's on the Denver Broncos, in which they have a good receiving room in Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton. Judy's interesting. Judy I'm not sold on either, but that's more for drop issues from him. They have a good running back room with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. And they still have a very good defense. There's just something there that I just I can't grab onto. Maybe it's because for you know most of last year we all thought Aaron Rodgers would wind up on the Denver Broncos. And then when that seemingly wasn't going to happen, it almost seemed like Russell Wilson was like their second choice. Like they'd hired Nathaniel Hackett because of Aaron Rodgers. And yet it winds up being Russell Wilson but there's something about it, you know, players even commenting that they've never seen a quarter or a player wear his own Jersey. And he did that to show up to training camp, the weird videos that, you know, the Broncos have posted, like thinking it's a hype up video, but it's like, it's just uncomfortable and weird and and gives off just, I don't know, an unnatural vibe, you know, Russell Wilson's always kind of been like a bit of a quirky quarterback. Like he's kind of a nerd, kind of like uh, he gives off the vibe of like a goody two shoes, like you wouldn't really invite him out with the boys if you're going to do something like probably that you you really shouldn't because you're like ah, he's going to judge us the entire time we like we're we're all about judging each other later not in the moment and I think there's a part of me starting to think is is Russell Wilson because you know reports are coming out I want to say from NBC Sports that Seattle was willing to trade Russell Wilson to the Cleveland Browns back in 2018 for the first overall pick to take Josh Allen now hindsight being 2020. Josh Allen's the second best, if not the best quarterback in football. He's unbelievable. He's a transcendent talent that will likely be in the Hall of Fame in 15 years. At the time, that would have been one of the most panned moves in NFL history without a shadow of a doubt. Russell Wilson is in his prime. He is also likely a future Hall of Fame quarterback. But now a part of me is sitting there thinking... Yeah, Seattle really didn't want him. I mean, he he may retire as, it's still as Seattle's best player of all time. I think it's between him, Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman. It, it's between those four. And you can throw in Steve Largent, too, for the older era. But I think those four guys just meant so much to that team winning a Super Bowl and making two of them. It meant so much. But... He gives off the vibe now in Denver as a guy that tried to be the rah rah leader and really get everyone galvanized. But in actuality he was the one guy everyone in the locker room would look and go, Oh, stop, just don't don't say that. Don't be that guy. Like, don't guys, let's just go do our job, just let Russ talk, whatever. That's the vibe he gives off. And I wonder if like that's why Seattle wanted to get rid of him even back in twenty eighteen. And seemingly never wanted him to cook or anything, is because You know, as good as he was, maybe the team just never bought into him as that guy. I don't know. Again, I could be completely talking out of nowhere, and and Denver's a 13-win team, and I'm completely wrong. I think this this is maybe the team I'm least confident in, because there's nothing tangible for me to grab onto and say, this is why I don't like this team. It really is just a feeling of something that I just don't like about the Broncos. They should be a quarterback away, and yet I'm sitting here going, I don't know. There is just something I don't like. Now moving on to a team that I can definitively point to a reason why I don't love them this year and that is the Green Bay Packers. We mentioned them a little bit when talking about Mike McCarthy and how the Packers really fell, not on hard times, but definitely difficult times at the end of his run and they get Matt LaFleur and they've had a great run so far in the regular season, but they have been a constant playoff disappointment and now they're going into the season without Devontae Adams. Adams has been definitively The most important player, not named Aaron Rodgers, on these teams without a shadow of a doubt. Without him, who do they go to? They lost Marquez Valdez Scantling, and he's not anything to write home about. I'm not saying, you know, he, oh man, he's the missing piece. No, but that's another receiver that they've had on this team for a number of years that is gone. They also have. You know, Sammy Watkins, yes, but he, when was the last time he played a full season? You know, when was the last time you could truly, definitively hold on to him and say, you're the number one? It's time in Buffalo? Because with the Chiefs, he was definitively the number two to Tyree Hill, definitively. And they've been looking for a replacement to that too for a long time. So, where, I mean, where do you go with this team? I loved Christian Watson out of the draft. I don't think that's a surprise to many that have listened to me all the way back in April when I was on the morning show. Loved Watson. But without Adams, there's nothing there. The, the receiving room may be the worst in football. Alan Lazard is consistently inconsistent. Aaron Jones is a running back, and he's great. But if that's your best wide receiver, if that's your guy as a receiver, that's not good. A.J. Dillon's a good running back. I don't really know about receiving talent. And Bobby Tunyon is a good tight end, good at catching touchdowns, but he's not a volume guy like a Travis Kelsey. Not at all. So you're sitting here, and and, and you're trying to find something where you can sit there with, with the Green Bay and think, that's it, they're going to be fine. They're going to be all right. I've, I've seen some Green Bay Packers fans try to justify that, well, now that Adams is gone, it's going to kind of force Rodgers to go different directions, to find different receivers. And because this is true, he would zero in too much on Adams. But the problem is he has to have talented receivers to spread the ball around too, and I don't think he does. And now you add the fact that you know, come those playoff runs, when he would be really safe with the ball and really only take shots to Adams, and 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 almost you know nullify his offense and the ability that they had shown throughout the year. I wonder if that's going to happen now this year. That while you know Rodgers had said he kind of knew Adams could leave. I think a part of him thought that when he signed that contract, Adams would be with him and not he signs a contract and Adams winds up in Vegas almost immediately afterwards, it feels like. I don't think Green Bay is going to lose the division. I think they still make the playoffs. But with a Vikings team that I think could definitely be improved now that Mike Zimmer's gone, they get Kevin O'Connell in there. They have the best receiver in football in Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins is a fine quarterback. Definitely throws a good deep ball, and he is a playoff-proven quarterback. He's won a game. And you add the fact that the Detroit Lions are a vastly improved team. They will not be a pushover, especially now that they don't have Devontae Adams. There isn't that elite guy to, to pair with Aaron Rodgers to truly make that feel like, you know, Green Bay is definitely going to sweep that series. There is none of that. Green Bay could genuinely win the division with nine games. I could also see them losing that division because they only win nine games or 10 games, depending on just how good the Vikings or Detroit could be. There is definitely a feeling with that team of, I don't know, because we haven't seen what the Matt LaFleur, Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers are without Devontae Adams. Because with Devontae Adams, they were so heavily reliant on him. And they should have been. and I'm not saying they shouldn't have been. They should have been. But I do think it partially was a detriment to the team being so reliant on him. Because I think Brian Gutenkunst, the GM, did really think we don't need need to reach for a wide receiver in the first round. When they absolutely did. Because now that he's gone, there's not even the young talent to look forward to. Again, I like Christian Watson. But this should have been done two years ago so that when this happened, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to build chemistry with a young guy in a make-or-break window. Rodgers is old, he is. You need to win now. There is no development period. But now he's gonna have to hope that Christian Watson is the Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase of his class, and I don't think he is. As much as I love Chase, or as much as I love Watson, I loved him as the idea of a third wide receiver next to Diggs and Gay, and Gay Davis, and really building him up. Not now. Not like this. This is not good. And I do wonder what happens there. I think their defense is good, and their running game is really good. But even David Bakhtiari, we don't know when he's coming back. He had another knee procedure. So that offensive line is going to be shaky at times. And then my final team is the Miami Dolphins. Because while I do think they will finish second in the division in the AFC East, how far can Tua really bring this team? They have made a ton of win-now moves going to get Tyreek Hill, really building that wide receiver core, bringing in a guy like Chase Edmonds and at running back to really just speed beyond speed beyond speed. But if Tua is not the guy, if Tua is a bad quarterback, or even just a solid backup, the problem is... Is you know, When you brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick, it was sort of known that, yeah, he, he, you know, he's a backup, he's a serviceable guy, but you never fooled yourself into thinking he is the franchise quarterback. Right now, the Dolphins have to convince everyone, including the team, Tua is a franchise quarterback. And if Tua becomes bad, that toxifies the entire locker room. Now, all of a sudden, there are going to be camps of, no, we have to stick by Tua, he's our guy, he's our leader until this offseason, there will be camps clamoring, Teddy's got to start, it's Bridgewater's team. And you'll have coaches and and front office people going, we need to go sign Jimmy Garoppolo. We need to get a proven winner in here. Regardless if that's the correct mindset, that's what will happen. So then what? What happens then? That team collapses in on itself. I do think this team will bench to a tongue of Iloa but I think they have to do it fast enough to where the team does not eat itself apart. Because that will be, you know, if I'm wrong on the, on the Patriots, that's when they'll get them. If I'm right about the Jets, that can be something where the Jets really make a move on them. And all of a sudden, it becomes a fight for Miami to either make the playoffs or just not finish in third in their division when they are clearly an ascending team. But getting the quarterback position wrong can really throw off the vibes of your team. And it's all about chemistry. A lot of this stuff is. So if Tua is bad and the team tries to fight to keep him in there, it could turn south fast. And then you add in the fact that, you know, head coach Mike McDaniels seems to have a shtick that if they're not winning early, could rub off really fast. Miami is a nuclear reactor that the slightest. Flick one way or the other could make them Supernova, a ridiculous team to deal with. Just unbelievable. You are constantly annoyed by them, and they could really do some damage. Or they flick the other way, and it's a catastrophe. And they completely implode. They're too talented to be the first overall pick or even a bottom five team. But in terms of a team finishing with seven wins and feeling ugly and feeling horrible about it, that could happen. That could absolutely happen. We're going to take a quick out and we come back. Preview some of the storylines coming up in training camp. The Hall of Fame game is now less than a week away. We'll also preview a little bit of Formula One. Some rain potentially coming for qualifying tomorrow morning. We'll do that as we wrap up the nightcap here on WGR. Welcome back into the nightcap on a Friday night final segment. Give me a quick segment as we wrap up the week here on WGR. Tomorrow, Nate Geary is going to be live at Bill's training camp. Pads are coming on. It's going to be from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Very exciting. I do love when pads come on for practice. It really does feel like then we can really start getting into the nitty-gritty of camp. Who really are the camp, you know, I don't want to say heroes, but guys that are really actually standing out and who is just, you know, really good in shorts. I mean, it's a joke that Josh Allen looks great in shorts, of course, but now we can really tell who belongs. I do want to point something out. Dave, or David tweeted at me, Green Bay is 10-3 all-time and 7-0 since 2019 without Devontae Adams. I wanted to point that out because I've legitimately never been more stunned in a stat in my life. That feels like those games Alan Lazard and MBS had to have exploded because they've had games where they're great. They've had games where they look spectacular. MBS looks like one of the best deep ball threats in the league. Alan Lazard looks like a genuine number 2. But that stat blew my mind because I'm like, there's no way. There's legitimately zero way. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. I, I don't feel good about him, but apparently they may actually be better off without Devontae Adams, which may actually show why they traded him. Final note for the day, Formula One qualifying tomorrow over in Hungary. Expect some rain. There were rumors going around the paddock. Qualifying may actually be moved to Sunday morning and the race will be pushed back a little bit into a more Sunday afternoon. So could expect that. We'll obviously keep you posted. I'll be here tomorrow morning, so I'll keep you posted on that. As we go into Sports Talk Saturday, reminder with that, Nate Geary is going to be live from Bill's training camp going from 11 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's going to do it here, folks. Thanks for listening to the Nightcap this week. I'll be, of course, back tomorrow and back on Monday with Shope and the Bulldog starting at 3 p.m. You have a wonderful weekend and thank you for listening to the Nightcap on WGR. We really need new
0: phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over
1: here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Mm-hmm.